better than 50% of the gun sales have been new gun sales to women. My big issue with that, I think it's fantastic, but you got to get training. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit podcast. As always, thank you guys for listening and watching, and please don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button wherever you get your show. So today, before we kick it off with our guest, uh, let's kick it off with our Patreon question of the day, which is, so if you and your family had to relocate to any other country, where would you go? (sighs) Babe, you answer this one first. Italy. Italy. Oh, yeah. Marcus and I found basically paradise on Earth um, in a little island off of Italy called Sardinia. That's where you'll find this dude parked. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, the flip-flops I'm wearing are our kids' flip-flops that they bought there. They say Sardinia on them. That, That is our, I think, favorite place we've ever... You know, and that's one place that I have never been. And we were supposed to go there and COVID hit. Oh. So we could, uh, as you know, they closed down Italy. But yeah. I would have to say with everything I've heard about Italy, and yes, I'm going next year, is that that would really be a place that I would like to visit. Not sure if I want to move there yet, but uh, <laughs> perhaps. I think maybe where I would want to move, boy, and this is a tough one because I have a lot of favorites. Uh, love New Zealand, don't like the politics. I do like Costa Rica because of the fishing and it's so beautiful there. But I'm guessing that uh, I might be your next door neighbor there in Italy. <laughs> That's amazing. Specifically the island of Sardinia, because it doesn't actually feel like you're part of the you know the mainland is different i love the mainland as well but the island of sardinia is really really special we should see if we could pull them into somehow being part of texas <laughs> hey you know what I'm, I'm talking I'm about in. I, had you said another state i would have said texas <laughs> right you, you know what i'm talking about i think we should we should work something here yeah like if we ever take you know full control over this and be like sardinia that's part of texas so we have a lot of commonalities there's a flight that goes straight there you know people are friendly yeah, we need to make that happen. Hunter, where would you go? Hunter just we, we got back. Get some reciprocity going. Talk about <laughs> Yeah. Hunter just got back last night from Croatia. So Croatia and uh, Turkey. Yeah. Where would you where would your place be? You might uh, find me island hopping around Greece. I don't think I'd have a set location, but I might be a little nomadic and just keep switching different islands every few months. <laughs> Okay, Hunter, our second home would be Greece. Yeah, our second home. Yeah, we could definitely do that. We can make something work. Yeah, I haven't seen that place yet. I've heard. (laughs) 
That's probably why they keep it away from me because I won't leave. There'll be a place I go, and when I finally get there, I'm like, I probably can't. But Texas always calls me back. Yeah. That was a good question. So today we have our lovely guest, Marsha Petrie Sue, who is an author, a public speaker, motivational coach from Scottsdale, Arizona. She was recently appointed Arizona Game and Fish Commissioner and has also served on the board for Fortune 500 companies as well. So with that being said, thank you to the show, Marcha. Well, thank you very much. And and Melanie, we were chatting about this and you know my history. Uh, I was born and raised in Southern California and my mother in Palos Verdes. And my mother was just the etiquette queen of the world. And so everything was polished and poised and all that. Well, I had a practice husband and uh, for 11 years, and then I <laughs> got a divorce and went into my corporate life. I was an executive vice president for Westinghouse Financial Services. Well, I decided that I wanted to retire in 1992, and I also decided I wanted to remarry. And I called one of my girlfriends in LA, and I said, so I have a new goal. I want to get married. And she says, you can no longer choose who you date. You've dated every whack job, every wing nut known to mankind. And she was right. She <laughs> says, you have to find a matchmaker. Well, this is way before eHarmony or, or any of that. So I actually went to a matchmaker. My third date was my husband, my uh, my current and forever husband, Al Sue. And yes, he's a boy named Sue. <laughs> and oh my gosh, is he a badass? He is, he is a badass, uh, right? What, what, Marcus? He's got to be a badass then. Yeah, he is. They wrote a he song is. about that. And, and by the way, a little sidebar, he played football at University of Tennessee. And his his sister was at a Johnny Cash concert. And she met Johnny Cash. She had some connections and told him her last name. And he says, so do you have a brother? Yep, I do. He says, so he's the original boy named Sue. <laughs> so we actually have that program signed by Johnny Cash. Oh, that's says, great. Is that's that fantastic? That's great. Those are great stories when stuff like that happens, yeah. when they run together like that. Yep. Yep. And his picture is on it. I mean, the whole thing. So it's pretty cool. So uh, when I got appointed, Melanie, you'll like this one. When I got appointed to commissioner, he says, so what am I now? Chop liver? And I said, no, you would be my arm candy. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. And he said, I can also chauffeur you around, but only if you call me Uber Sue. (laughs) So he's now my arm candy and my Uber Sue. But when we got married, uh, I would have never chosen him because (laughs) totally into the outdoors. Uh, My dad always had a boat. We did a lot of fishing off of uh, Southern California. And my dad was a huge uh, uh, deep sea fisherman. And so when I met Al, I thought, well, this is good. At least I fish. But I had never done anything else. I didn't own a pair of jeans until I was 46. Oh, wow. Because mother called them dungarees and oh. only farmers wore them. Oh, wow. So I met I met my husband and he drove a truck. I'd never ridden in a truck. God forbid I'd never camped. And the first time he asked me to go camping, I said, Camping. Does that involve dirt? (laughs) So 31 years later, here I am, commissioner for Arizona Game and Fish, (laughs) sitting on the executive committee of NRA Women's Leadership Forum. 
Uh, I sit on the Arizona Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation Board, and you know, Melanie, my involvement with Women's Outdoor Media Association supporting uh, foundation for women warriors and some of these others. I do a lot of hunting with uh, uh, wounded warriors and the females from that group and do a lot of outdoor experience for all association here in its 501c3 here in Arizona. I just had a fundraiser for Wildlife for Tomorrow on Sunday, and that's our 501c3 for Arizona Game and Fish. Nice. So I do uh, kind of a lot. Plus, I still run my business. So. Yeah. So <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about the um, what you do with the NRA women's um, group, like as far as gun safety and teaching women how to protect themselves and to protect their families and just get into that a little bit? Because that's one of my biggest things. Um, I mean, my whole life, I grew up hunting and fishing with my dad and then I married Marcus and he introduced me to handguns which I was never comfortable with before we um, got married but one of my biggest things is gun safety and yep. I know that that's um, a huge part of what you do as well can you talk about that a little bit I sure can and thank you for bringing that up it is a huge issue especially when we know in the last three three and a half years that the 50 better than 50 percent of the gun sales have been new gun sales to women my big issue with that i think it's fantastic but you got to get training mm -hmm. and once you get training you can't get stale you have to keep training that's why melanie you know when when you and deb and i started the she never quit down at your your beautiful ranch down there in texas to take those 60 65 women down there and we had women that had never seen a gun yeah. And to teach them not only how to shoot, but the safety behind it yeah. is critically important. And, you know, we have a safety briefing. Kay Mishlik always does such a great job with that. And uh, this last year that we did it, we had 51 different firearms. We had all the top women trainers in the world, including Lanny Barnes, who, you know, is an Olympian. Uh, Lena Milchik, who is uh, one of the top shooters for uh, Six, six Hour uh, her mom, uh, Kay Mishlick, Jerry came by, who just broke two records in shooting. And we have uh, Maggie Reese. We've got Athena Lee. We've got all these fantastic women. So the women teaching women, we find, makes it very successful. But as you know, we even we were even shooting 50 cal. Yeah. <laughs> blowing stuff up. <laughs> these ladies. That was yeah. really cool. And the, the other thing about safety that I like to talk about that NRA does and especially for the people that have kids, you go on the NRA website and Eddie Eagle has all of this training that is free. So you can download videos, you can watch them online, there's printed material, there's all kinds of things. And at the NRA can, uh, annual meeting, Eddie Eagle always has a big presence there, but he's always out in the lobby mm -hmm. because Eddie Eagle is not going to be around guns. Yeah. You know, so that's a great big thing with, with me. But, you know, it's funny, Melanie, I, I'm really glad you brought that up. There was a woman the other day, uh, we were down actually fishing. I was at an NRA conference in Doral at the Trump Resort. And then Al and I went fishing for snook down in the Everglades. And a woman was talking to her kids about gun safety. 
And the dad said, well, you're not getting a gun until you go through hunter safety. And I thought, isn't that fabulous? And I'm going to guess these kids, maybe nine and 11, something like that. So anyway, I went up and I congratulated them. Well, another woman at another table came up and she says, we just have to get rid of all these guns in the world. Oh, my gosh. I said, so what you're saying is that you don't think I have the right to keep myself safe. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Well, no, that's not what I mean. I said, well, that's what you're saying Mm -hmm. when you say that. Yeah. And I said, let me give you a for instance here. Let's say right here we were in the, the hotel's breakfast thing. And I said, if some idiot walked in right now, they were all drugged up. They start shooting. They drop the gun and it slides towards you. Could you pick that gun up fearlessly and protect you and your partner and your child? Would you be able to know if the safety is on? Is it loaded? Can I point and shoot? Mm -hmm. And she said, well, no. And I said, I don't want you to buy a gun, but I want you to go to a gun safety class. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are people down here that aren't meant to shoot and that's okay. And they're not comfortable with it. And I mean, Marcus says that all the time. Like there are people down here, the, that are just meant to be protectors and there's people that are meant to be protected and that's totally fine, but at least be comfortable with knowing how to protect yourself. So same thing, learning anything else that'll kill you. CPR. Why do we teach that? The re- fundamentally, I don't. I don't understand why you, there's not a gun safety class in every school up from the time they go to kindergarten up in the time they get out of high school because there's just guns around. It's written into the to our constitution. There's just always going to be around. Plain and simple. Gun safety is not only knowing what to do when you get your hands on one. It's knowing what to do if you see it or if you don't see it, or if you see some little kid who's messing with it and he shouldn't be messing with it, then how do you address that if you're scared of death? Mm-hmm. It's an inanimate object. Yeah. It's a piece of metal. It's a bunch of metal, actually. So don't, don't, don't talk to me about it. It does something itself. No, it doesn't. It does something. There's a human behind it. And like any adult, as you rise from a child unto that position and into it, you're the one that's supposed to teach that. So if you don't know it, how can you teach it? And if you don't, if you don't teach this on the pass down, this is what happens. Mm-hmm. there's nothing you should be afraid of down here, especially if we created it. Marcus, we, and the most dangerous thing down here is more. an undisciplined human mind, period. Absolutely. But see, some people will never have an open mind. And I've realized that, especially through, because I'm a behavioralist now and I speak a lot on conflict resolution and that sort of thing. There's some people that just will not and won't know and don't know how to listen. They really don't. And when just the word gun comes up, they're done. And they get into that right emotional brain and you can't get them out. And and Marcus, you know this better than anybody. Your SEAL training, you talk so much much about your own self mind control. Mm -hmm. Some people care not to know about that. Yeah, just self-discipline. Yeah, You can see them when they walk in the door. 
It's like with anything else. There's some things we don't let drive. There's some things you don't let. Look, you know how bad I want to fly the space shuttle? <laughs> you know how bad I want to fly that thing? And I, w- I would, I do. And I would literally let them, if they said I could do that right now, I would probably make it into the cockpit before I was like, you know what? I don't really know how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> but I still would have my hand on the throttle. I there's feel, just people like that. I feel like you might just try. I would. I would hammer down. <laughs> and then there's people that are real like me that would just give it the go, right? So knowing right. that, even if you think they're not listening, because there is the opposite. They're, 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 for whatever reason, when we were created, it's like that. I've been around and seen enough to know that. No matter what you say, there's an opposite something walking around here. Mm-hmm. And now we have access to each other, so you see it more. You can't just live where you want to live and and it's it's always in your face, right? So it's take a step back and realize I started thinking about this a while back between right and wrong and kind of get away from that as an adult and be like, hey, what works? Like, how, how can I secure this place? I got to have that around here because there's other things that will kill you besides a human, all right? And those all the, the mechanical stuff the, the, with the guns and the cars and machines, man, Women, that's, you know, that's if I protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't really give a damn if a guy's got one, man. You know, I, if you can't protect yourself, then it's the same way we can, it's just the way it is. But there's, it, and it's around here. It's like with everything else we have around here, it's not going to go away. So you got to learn to adapt to it. And we can do that. Humans, we're civilized people. And Melanie, you've heard uh, Deb and myself say this many times. You teach the woman, you teach the family. Absolutely. Because as a mom, I mean, even when Hunter was little, I always had him around guns. I wanted him to go shoot targets and be comfortable with it. And I was raised in a home, I mean, for a large part of my childhood with a single dad. And I was around guns all of the time. I was never scared of them, but I knew not to touch them. I knew never, that was the one thing in... I mean, Marcus is, we have everything in a, locked up in a vault, but the kids know if there is a gun out, they do not touch it. And I feel like parents that don't talk about guns with their kids, the kids are more eager to, to touch it behind the parents' back, which can end in death. I mean, you, you, that's it's what the you... forbidden fruit. Yeah, that's what you don't want to do. But if you are so comfortable, and it's, it has to come from a mom, too, being comfortable with it. If a mom is scared, then sh- her kids are going to be scared, they too. They actually make the best teachers. Mm-hmm. So think about it. Like, I know you don't want to have the gun around, and you're scared of it. So learn how to deal with that thing. So, And if you teach your kid, they can teach somebody who hasn't been taught. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, I mean, that's kind of the way we look at it. I'm like, I get it. You don't want to, if you don't want to have guns, don't have one. Don't have one and then teach everybody what to do if there is one around. And that way the circle keeps going as opposed to freaking out and then having them freak out because then that that causes curiosity. And once curiosity kicks in, then it's with the, depending on how old they are and if it's cool or not, we all know how that goes. We had to grow through that. So... There was two things when my dad did get married. Um, I was about 10 years old, and he married a, a wonderful woman named Anna, and she loved crystal and china, you know, the the nice plates and everything. And we it was only for special occasions, but she had this crystal bowl that she kept out on the dining room table that she just loved. 
I knew at 10 years old not to touch my dad's guns and not to touch her crystal bowl. And that was out at all times. But I didn't go messing with it, and I wasn't going to try to break it. I knew not to touch it. And I feel like if you are like that with your kids, where you have something to where you show them, you teach them, you you create discipline to where they know, don't ever touch this, they won't do it. But if you hold it and it's just for you, that is like the forbidden fruit that well, it's like the car keys. Get, yeah. Or, or the anything car, else. Whatever. You know, about, hey, yeah. look, we don't, you don't mess with this until you're 18. Same way yeah. with this. Do this. Don't yep. do that. We got rules for everything. I mean, they do learn, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things, and, you know, of course, I'm not the authority with children since I chose at 20 never to have kids. Uh, when my sister went into the witness protection program, that's a whole nother story. Uh, I decided I have a 50% chance of having her. Yeah. So I thought, not good odds. <laughs> So I never had kids, but it's the, there's the lack of consequences. You know, these kids don't understand the consequence of doing something anymore. And there's no uh, core of uh, morality, it seems to me. And I don't know where that faltered, where it went away. There's no core respect. I know growing up is that I had such an enormous respect, not only for my parents, but for authority, whether it was a teacher, whether it was a policeman, whether it was someone in uniform, whatever it was, I just carried this tremendous respect for them. But that's parenting. Yeah. So I don't know. Where did it falter? Where did it go away? Well, I feel like it's parents plus teachers. Teachers would teach you to respect your policemen, to respect the firemen. They always had some a guest speaker from the police department or the fire department come in. But when your teachers start losing respect for other public service and other authority, then it's Marcus always says this and it makes so much sense about how our leaders act like a divorced husband and wife. And they argue in front of us, whether that's our president and, you know, our Congress or our t- even our te- – you can put that scenario in our teachers as well. They argue and bitch about each other, and they it's always contradicting. So as a kid, you look at that, and you're like, so what am I supposed to believe? What am I right. – how am I supposed to act? Who do I – do I listen to this woman I'm with, you know, eight hours a day, Monday through Friday, or do I listen to my parents at home? So I feel like it has to be teachers plus parents, and that's where a lot of it went wrong over this last generation. Well, and I think COVID didn't help any. Oh, no. The good thing, the one good thing that I heard that COVID did is it gave an awareness to parents of what their kids were learning. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that, to me, that's about the only thing that was, you know, a, a decent outcome from that, because it was just what it did to our our nation, to our economy, to our mindset, to our youngsters. It was terrible, just terrible. We personally, I, I don't know how we're, we're ever going to gain that respect back. And and how do you teach these people, the parents and the the um, uh, teachers, of how they're basically ruining these kids' lives? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Where do we start?
I feel like that has to come from whoever is secretary of education. It's at that top leadership and it trickles down. Um, Because a bad leader is going to cause bad throughout the line. So absolutely. Top goes all down. the way to the top. And that all the goes way to the for top. government. Doesn't, it yeah, goes for uh, business. I know I saw that a lot in business when I was with Westinghouse, especially we did a lot of turnaround. And if you had bad stuff going on at the top, it filtered all the way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's the really difficult part. Yeah. Well, so getting into more things that you're involved in, another thing that you um are are big on is conservation. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Uh, Al and I, my husband and I started doing conservation work. I'm going to guess probably about 22 years ago. We've been married 31 years. And uh, what we do, we do work through the Arizona Antelope Foundation for one. And what we do, we make contracts through Arizona Game and Fish with the ranchers. And we will go out for an example. We just did a project up at the Double O Ranch. And we take out the barbed wire on the fence, put in smooth wires 18 inches high, which happens to be mid-knee for me, because the pronghorn actually go under a fence. They rarely will jump over a fence. Mm. So that's what we do, especially if these people are running cattle or if they have horses or sheep or, you know, whatever, then we will basically fix their fence and help the migration of the pronghorn. Because a lot of times what the lions and the cats and the the wolves and the coyotes will do is push a a herd of antelope up against a fence and see who can't uh, jump. You know, it's usually the old ones and some of the youngsters, and then that's their lunch. So in order to help the migration and to help the the health of the herd, then we do that. The other thing we do, uh, not only for antelope, but also for the Arizona Deer Association and the Desert Bighorn Sheep society is that we build water catchments so we'll put in spring boxes we'll put in the solar panels to run it uh we dig these big ditches and i love the sheep projects because you know where sheep live way up high in the mountains we get to take a helicopter ride they take us up on a helicopter to actually get to the project site so that's fun but it's it's hard work and we're not youngsters anymore so (laughs) It's getting more and more uh, uh, delicate as far as how long we work. But we do that sort of thing. And actually, Al, two years ago, was Arizona Game and Fish Volunteer of the Year. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best way to see that state. Camp and we still do all that. But if there's a local hotel, we'll stay in a hotel instead of camp. (laughs) I would too. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, so we do an awful lot of that. And what I like about it now is that having done that conservation work for so many years, now I've been a a commissioner for almost a year now, is that I'm seeing how the sausage is made. Because I didn't understand where the funding came from. We take zero state uh, uh, revenue at all. Every dollar that we spend comes from selling tags, from Pittman Robertson, from Dingle Johnson, from your duck stamps and all of that. So we take no state revenue. And that's why what I did on Sunday with the fundraiser is that that creates revenue uh, for a group that helps us with some of these conservation projects. So So we, we still do a lot of that. We dig out big water catchments. We have a big one going on right now down at Bender's Pond 
in Gila Band and we're putting bentonite down there. And you all probably know what bentonite is. It's uh, a powder and uh, then they run their cattle over it afterwards to pat it down. And then the minute it rains, it almost becomes a cement so that it holds water. And as you know, like some of your parts of Texas, we suffer from drought. So it really helps us uh, gather that water for our wildlife. Do you, have you run into any issues as uh, with the department that you're with right now with the border issues? Oh, yes. What, can you talk about that a little bit? I sure can. Uh, One of the things that we're finding is that the trash that is left behind on the border, for an example, down in Sonoida, uh, is uh, hurting the migration of the animals. Mm. They can't get through. I can see that because Marcus and Hunter and I went down to the border of Texas and Mexico down in the Rio Grande Valley. And that was one of the biggest things that they talked about was not only, you know, the the illegal aliens, but the trash that they leave behind is on such a huge magnitude. We can't uh, we just can't even picture it because we've never seen anything like it. It's so it's third world country like. So that's happening in Arizona as well. Oh, big time. Uh, We did. We took some women retired um, uh, military out for Aravaca was for a javelina hunt. And there were piles of trash and just dirty everything. But then there's some people that are going around putting water out Mm. for the uh, illegals crossing the border. So you have both sides kind of, I guess, fighting against each other down there. And it's I feel badly because it's a beautiful hunting zone down there, but it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And also it's hurting the migration and some of our species. Scale quail, for an example, down there. Uh, it's tearing up their habitat. Wow. Um, and it's just, it's it's really sad. We were down, uh, we were down in, um, I think it was outside of Yuma. And we were doing a antelope project down there. We were changing out some fence. And the Border Patrol came by to talk to us. We had about 50 volunteers and we had this camp all set up. It was really nice. And it was right at dusk that these guys came by. And he says, well, I want you to know this is a very active drug crossing, Hmm. illegal drug crossing right here. He said, so I want you all to be really cautious at night. And I'm thinking, oh, good. Well, of course I was caring. And uh, as he is talking to us, up on the ridge, right down where our camp was, you could see a guy with an AR on the front. There was about 12 people in between with these huge backpacks carrying drugs. He said, that's probably fentanyl. Oh, my god! And then one at the end with another AR. Wow. Walking right on the ridge by us. I mean, it gives me chills to even tell that now. Of course, I didn't sleep a wink last night. I mean, I'd hear... Al move and I think okay someone's entering our tent it was awful it was horrible that's crazy and there's nothing that you can do as commissioner on your end to to do anything like that that's all homeland security no because that's federal yeah and we do state yeah you know it's just like with the unauthorized livestock uh that with the feral horses and the feral cattle Uh, we can't do a thing we can do our biology and do our studies and provide the information to them. But that was from the 1971 Wild Horse and Burrow Act passed by the feds all that time ago. 
where it is a federal issue. But what is it doing? It's tearing up the habitat for our elk and our deer. Uh, we have a cabin up in Alpine in, in the mountains, and we have a sacred little, it's called a New Mexico jumping mouse. <laughs> and they're endangered. Well, the horses, the feral horses, are tearing up all the grassland where these guys live. Mm. So we're trying to provide, you know, all the people that on the Fed level that are taking these research studies and hoping that they see the value of reducing the herds. Uh, the great example here, it's not that we don't want them, the horses there, it's the limiting the numbers. We can take 132 horses in terrain where they are right now up by our cabin. My last number I got was that there's over 800. Oh, wow. So what do you do? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I didn't even know about that. I knew that there was yeah. like wild Mustangs somewhere, but I didn't realize it was in Arizona. Okay. And I love that you said wild Mustangs. Okay. Yes. Some of these do have Mustang DNA and blood in them. But I was talking to one of these guys that does the research, and he said, I just think some of these people that think that all the feral horses are Mustangs have watched one too many John Wayne movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's basically where it comes from. That's where everybody gets their information. Yeah. <laughs> Movies. Movies. <laughs> you know, and talking about Hollywood, and I want to get back to what you were saying, Marcus, is that... When you think about the guns being used in all the movies and all of these uh, games and everything else, the guns, and then they want to restrict our use of gun or take our guns away, mm -hmm. there's kind of a, that's a rough road for me to follow there. Yeah. I don't get, I, I, I don't get that. Yeah. I mean, it's not okay. They're glorifying it on movies and we all watch it, but we can't have it just for our own home protection. And some of the movies actually show that, that it is for home protection. I mean, you've, that's what actors are doing. They're showing yeah. what the public is doing. Right. That's how they have to do it. Yeah. But they want to take it. They want to take the guns away. So it doesn't, sense well and same i think it's funny because you you probably so, know how about that as an actor being a moral conundrum right yeah the actor being the moral conundrum that job yeah there's a moral ambiguity and then there that's pretty stifling i mean so how do we resolve that yeah. do you have any ideas i mean i really that's not a trick question i have no humans idea. humans love to be entertained the best stories come from actual humans doing their thing Second Amendment provides us with those weapon systems that we that carry out all those stories that they show up on the screen. They're basically throwing up a mirror of us looking at ourselves. And humans by nature love to see things get destroyed, beat up, torn up. I mean, we go on every... It's amazing. That's why you have to teach them. Mm -hmm. You see what happens right. when you don't teach them. I mean, we can, we can tear this place apart. We were designed to do that. Mm -hmm. We're designed to subdue the earth what, at, at, by any means necessary. So that's why sport came in. That's why rules came in. That's why the pass down came in. I feel like sometimes we just got all of our toys at one time, but we haven't, as the adult, as the kids, as we grew to adults, we hadn't set the rules on how to play with everything. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to have to eventually do that, I would imagine. We need more movies. Well, that and then, as you know, the illegal people that have the guns, they're not going to listen. They don't care. 
Absolutely. That, my, the way I kind of look at it is like I get people are our, our, our countrymen are upset. So every time you say something, they're just going to get more upset of arguing and arguing and arguing. That's just kind of the way it is. It's just for whatever reason, everyone's going to have to take a deep breath and, and you may not be breaking the rules, but sometimes I think y'all let some stuff slide. Mm-hmm. And what I'm talking about with the little stuff like a dress code. Yeah. In the Senate. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, y'all can do whatever you want on the TV. I don't care, man. But when they did that, I was like, hold the hold the horn here. <laughs> no, man, you got to have standards. We've already bled for that. Mm-hmm. That's right. I, I throw some flesh down on this place. You understand? And I did it for the men wearing those suits. So if if you don't have any trust from the top down, if y'all don't act right up, up on the top side, we're not going to act right down here. Why would we even do that? If y'all are supposed to be showing us the right way and what we're doing isn't pleasing to you, then maybe y'all need to look at yourselves because mm-hmm. this is where we learn it. I think about that all the time now when I'm training my kids. I'm like, I'm training you to train my grandson and my granddaughter. And because I don't have the vocabulary to do that, I act this way. Mm-hmm. And we all make mistakes. We sure do. That's why we say we need to forgive ourselves. Right. And, uh, like I said, man, but you can get us worked up quick. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to, I, I, I know I'm supposed to keep quiet, but if I had you f- to talk to for a few hours, I'd want you to give me advice. And I, I didn't say or hear this as part of your accolades, but like teaching me how to be a, de- a good, to raise a daughter that, that doesn't know how to say, you know, never quit. Mm-hmm. She's got an example as a mother, but the women, and we recognize that now. Yeah. Like I'm past trying to chase y'all. Now I'm, and that's a thing. So when guys are young, man, we just want to chase you and, you know, in all that kind of directions. But then you get to the point where like, man, she's pretty magnificent. Uh, not only that, I have something that I'm growing over here that could use that fertilizer. Yeah. Whatever you got. <laughs> that's why I'm sitting over here just listening to you talk because that's a good one. I'm going to use that for my daughter. If I, if I see a woman that I would love for my daughter to emulate, I'm trying to snatch much of that to myself as I can. Yeah. Which is I'm available you, and Melanie's available <laughs> and you know I love it. I know where you live too. Y'all need to keep doing that. That she never. That was the coolest thing I've ever yeah, heard. Yeah. So we we used to do just for our listeners. We used to. do I heard a y'all thing. had a blast because you wouldn't let any guys. I tried to sneak out there, man. I tried <laughs> to sneak out there with y'all. So a bunch of women, almost a hundred, right, and just no dudes. Yeah. And y'all were gunning up and just having a blast, from what I understand. Yeah, so That's she it. never quit. Um, I met Marsha in Deb Ferns at an NRA. Um, I think it was in Nashville several years what? ago. And we talked about do hosting a camp, basically, for women on getting comfortable with guns. And we decided to, to do this at uh, our family ranch here in Texas. And... It was so fun. I It was one of the best things. I always talk about Patriot Tour, which I loved so much. But in addition to Patriot Tour, uh, She Never Quit is one of the my favorite things that we've ever been a part of. And so we developed She Never Quit as this uh, three or four day, was it four day camp? About three and a half, yes. Yeah, three and a half days. And there was a rep, basically. Not, I mean, not was it? They were the actual reps of different. Yeah, they were the they were the usually the the key shooters for yes. that for staccato and uh, Sig Sauer, Smith and Wesson, all of the the gun. Yeah, Beretta, all of the gun manufacturers. So there would be a woman rep out with a table, 
and there were multiple tables lined up in this big field and we had it set up as a target shooting practice and each table had at least 20 different guns to How choose come we from. haven't done anything like this, Hunter? <laughs> we, we definitely I'm need to get that started. Going in my head yeah. like the late. you think it would be the guys that had those badass parties. We, 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 we haven't. No, no. We, we've definitely been slacking on that. You understand what I'm talking about? 100%. Like, you're talking about every gun manufacturer and the best they had to offer yeah. in one spot. This is like this is what girls do when the guys aren't around. Well, good for yeah. you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? So let's get that started. There <laughs> would be a table with each. So let's say it was a six-hour um, handgun. There would be like 20 different ones. And the purpose is for the girls to sit there and use every single one to see what you are most comfortable shooting. And then you would move on to a different uh, brand of manufacturer. Then you would move on to a different gun. So we went from pistol to rifle to shotgun. And then... Uh, Towards the end years, we even introduced archery. And yep. we had Mia uh, was our archery specialist. And she and would teach still does it. Yeah. And she would teach us how to do to do archery um, practice. And then we went into knife throwing. We had a we had a knife specialist. So this this is the thing that girls are doing. Mm. And we even That's when my wife came home. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> so dangerous already. Now it's we throwing. even had, because up at the ranch, we have these large warehouses that are basically empty. And one of them, uh, we set up this robotic shooting range uh, where these robots would go behind, like zigzag, basically. And we had airsoft guns, and we would have to run and shoot and do like a house clearing type situation and shoot the moving targets on these robots with the airsoft. It was so fun. And our chef was this badass woman that um, she would, uh, she actually did, who did she cook for? The uh, director of the CIA or something? Yeah. And I mean, just all, like everyone was a badass that was involved in it. And anyway, it's one of my favorite things that we ever did. We stopped doing it at the ranch um, because of COVID, because right. in my family, my little sister has, um, st still has a heart issue, and they were the, her doctor was very scared for um, outsiders to come in and get her infected because uh, she right. would have an issue, which she did. She ended up having an issue and. Uh, Long story that'll take us off track. She ended up having to have a pacemaker and defibrillator put back in, but um, she's fine now. We are super happy that she's doing really good right now. But um, that is why we stopped doing She Never Quit, and they took it to a different ranch, and we haven't had it back since. But I want to bring back She Never Quit to the Lazy J because that was one of the coolest. Oh, look, Marsha went to the universe. Look at her. <laughs> You're... I did. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> That's awesome. I think, I think Hunter did that. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, anyway, if, if you would like your wife or your sister or your daughter to get involved with this, they do this every year. It's through Women's Outdoor Media Association, WOMA. And you can find it on their website. It's one of the coolest freaking things you can do. Even mother-daughter. You can...
go, you know, we had a couple of mother daughter uh, groups come out. And I just think that is the neatest thing. Some girls that came out had never touched a gun before. That's right. And some were actually trying to get into competing. And the instructors are all competitors. And they're very, very good competitors. I mean, we're talking world champs. So, Well, Melanie, thanks to you, now it is so popular that when we put the website up to uh, sign up for it, that it sells out usually within a month or less. Wow. Well, I, if I know that y'all like doing it at the ranch that you've, you've got now, but if y'all could add one more and come back to the lazy J like the Olympics, like every four years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like it. You know what I'm talking about? Like like, it's normally held here, but then there's this, this cycle ever like on the leap year. Yeah. I would love to have it back at the ranch because that was so much fun. And well, we loved being at the ranch here. Your hospitality just was beyond compare. And I, I personally can't thank you enough because you made it very easy for us to plan that and to have this event for these women. It was, it was amazing. I mean, we always have fantastic comments and applause afterwards. Yeah. It it was always so much fun. So we need to bring that back. We'll be in touch with that. Yeah. We need to bring back. She never quit at the ranch. She never quit is still going on. It's just not at the ranch. So if you want to get involved, go to, uh, Women Outdoor Media Association. Is there anything else you'd like to plug, Marcia, that you've got going on? Well, not really. That's about it. Just uh, get in the outdoors, do some conservation work, support your game and fish, whatever state you're in, whatever country you're in, and most importantly, volunteer your time. Mm-hmm. Get outdoors. It's amazing what it does for your brain and for your soul. Does every- and I love Mother Nature, and she needs our help as much as uh, she ever has. But I want to thank you, Melanie and Hunter and Marcus. Thank you so much for allowing me to be on your podcast. It has truly been my honor and pleasure. You bet. Thank you. I want to ask one more question. Do, what would you recommend for people that want to get involved with their local game and fish department are there camps are there volunteer opportunities at every state that you can sign up for not necessarily every state you have to go online because it varies and it uh, varies a lot we have a lot in arizona we're probably i'm going to say one of the top five game and fish as far as uh, outreach that we do and training that we do. So you just have to go online and Google your local game and fish. They're statewide, they're state run and find out what they're doing. Is that an elected position? No, we're appointed by the governor and we okay. report directly to the governor in Arizona. Sometimes it's elected. Sometimes it's a, a different kind of appointee and it varies from state to state. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Marcia, for coming on. We appreciate you yes, and all of your expertise. And we need to do She Never Quit at the Ranch again. So. <laughs> you got it. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Have a blessed day. Yes, you thank too. you so much. Bye. And thank you, everybody else, for listening in. We will see you next week.